I'm not sitting in my garage today, but if I were, there's a cricket in my garage, just like old times. Not for long. Oh, that's a good point. Good morning, and welcome to episode 203 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh with Sam Miller. It is Wednesday, so it's email show. We got a lot of really good emails this week, so many that we are considering doing two email shows just so we can get to all of them. Uh, so maybe we'll we'll do that unless something pressing comes up. We'll see. You can continue to send them in at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Uh, but we have picked out a few for today. Do you want to start with one? Uh, I can't find the one I want to start with, so you start with one. Okay. Uh, this one is from Timothy. He, uh, he says, a lot has been made of the high strikeout rates over the last few seasons. Does a high strikeout rate negatively impact the value of defense, positively impact, or have none at all? How large will strikeout rates have to be to impact defensive stats? Uh, and I think this is a really interesting subject, and I talked about it, I guess it was a few months ago on, on Clubhouse Confidential, but I think uh, it, it definitely has an impact, and we are already seeing that impact. It's not really something that you would notice necessarily just from watching the game, but I looked up uh, I looked up the number of batted balls that the typical pitching staff allows, just through the, the BP sortable reports. And last year, so 2012, the average pitching staff um, pitched, I guess, around 1,450 innings or so uh, and, and allowed 4,392 batted balls. So 4,392 batted balls, that's in 2012. In 1980, uh, when the... Well, the league strikeout rate was much lower. So, so last year it was 7.6 strikeouts per nine. In 1980, it was 4.8 strikeouts per nine. So, so in 1980, basically the same number of, of innings per year, the same number of games. Uh, the typical pitching staff allowed uh, 3,458 uh, balls in play. So 4,392 last year, 3,458 in 1980. So that's that's like 934 fewer batted balls uh, allowed by the typical pitching staff last season as opposed to 30-ish years ago. So that definitely has an impact if there are fewer batted balls being allowed, and that's not an insignificant amount of batted balls being allowed, then of course there are fewer opportunities to make plays and just sort of I mean, less of the less of what contributes to a win is defense now. Um, and I mean, good defenders are still are still more valuable than bad defenders, obviously, but the the spread is smaller. Um, it, it's like if you had, I don't know if you had fewer plate appearances per season or something, and you have you have Brendan Ryan and you're comparing him to, I don't know, Mike Trout or something. Uh, I mean, the fewer plate appearances you have, the less of a of a difference there's going to be between those two hitters' value. So it's sort of the same thing with defensive stats. The fewer balls in play there are, the fewer chances and the fewer opportunities to make plays, uh, the less a good defender can distinguish himself from a bad defender. So average is still average, but there's less of a spread or, or less of a range between, say, the worst and the, the best or or there's just less variation because there are fewer opportunities. And I think it 
it kind of, uh, it's a self-perpetuating or self-reinforcing trend, I think, because the fewer batted balls you have, I, I guess the less emphasis you put on having a good defender. And so maybe you will stick an Adam Dunn in the outfield or something, someone who is not good defensively. And whether whether you're actually thinking about this consciously or not, you might put less of an emphasis on defense because there are fewer balls in place. So you might play a, a big hulking slugger type who hits for a lot of power and strikes out a lot because it's it's not going to hurt you as much. And then you have another hitter in the lineup who strikes out more. Uh, so that could be another reason why strikeouts keep climbing and climbing because defense matters a little less. And so you're more willing to play a guy who hits for power and strikes out a lot. And then defense matters a little less than it did even. Um, so it's an interesting subject, I think. I'm glad it was asked by Timothy. I completely misread the question and thought that um, he was asking, mainly because I was focusing on the last sentence. I, I was thinking he was asking whether it impacts the quality of defense that, that fielders play uh-huh. uh, because of, you know, the, the you'll hear announcers talk all the time about how defense is better if they uh, the fielders are on their toes. Right. And I, I thought you were going to try to give me an answer for that. And no matter what you said, I was going to argue with your methodology. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen anybody try to answer that? That you know? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I, we talked once about pitcher pace and whether that affects yeah. defense, but I don't. I don't think yeah. so. All right. So uh, I'm going to talk for a while. Yes, uh, please do. This one has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Nicholas. Um, has any pitcher made his major league debut and only recorded one out or no outs? And I assume what he's asking is, and then never pitched again, um, because lots of people have made their major league debut and only recorded one out or no outs, uh, like hundreds. Uh, but he says, I remember Steve Garrison in 2011 for the Yankees recorded two outs, and I doubt he will come back to the majors. I assume somebody has gotten fewer, but who? And uh, so I have the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you expect, there are players who have gotten zero outs, and yet... Um, while that might not surprise you, I have answers that may surprise you. So, uh, first of all, the raw numbers, there are 21 players who have done this, who have uh, pitched in the major leagues and yet never retired a batter. And um, they're mostly, what I'm surprised by is that they're mostly actual pitchers. Um, and usually they're pitchers in their early 20s, or in some cases their late teens, who came up, uh, pitched, poorly got sent back down and and never pitched again i actually was expecting to see quite a few position players who had pitched um Mm -hmm. ineffectively for a few batters and uh and left and there were some of those but only three of the 21 which uh shocked me i I really i would have guessed half of these people would have been position players the most that anybody is uh has faced without getting an out is doc Heyman, Hammond, hammond uh Probably baseball reference. My guest doesn't have a pronunciation guide for Doc Common, <laughs> who in 1922 pitched one game at the age of 21. Seven batters faced, no outs, three hits, three runs, uh, three hits, three walks, I should say, and a hit batsman. Six earned runs, never got an out, never pitched again. Um, so he's the low mark. Um, nobody that I found was split up over multiple years, so came up had an outing with no outs, got sent back down, and then years later came up, had an outing with no outs, got sent back down, and that was it. So these are all, so far as I could tell, uh, if not well, there was one guy who had two games. Everybody else was one game. 
One of the guys who had two games is Dick Davalillo, mm-hmm. Vic Vic Davalillo, who in 1969 pitched two games. He's the only one who pitched two games without getting an out. Um, and he's a position player. He's one of the three position players. And in a four-game span, he pitched twice. Um, and once his team was only down six, and once he was, they were down eight. And both times he got relieved after two batters. So I was, I'm not sure why he was put in there if <laughs> not to do exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both times he was relieved by pitchers. And, you know, down six. It, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just how they rolled back then. But uh, that was interesting to me. Uh, uh, one of the, the other of the other three position players, one is a guy named Sam Mayer, who pitched one game but only played 10 as a position player. And up to that point, he had kind of been split in the minors. He had 88 minor league innings. He was a 21-year-old. Um, the weirdest game, well, actually, this might actually be the, the second weirdest game, was Stan Musial, who faced one batter. Uh, did not retire him, but he, the, the batter reached on an error. And the weird thing is that it happened in the first inning. <laughs> he, uh, You might know this story. Somebody out there knows this story. Um, but Musial, of course, was a pitcher coming up and uh, became a position player, was was converted, I, I think, after he went to, to maybe to fight in war or something like that, or maybe just in the minors, or he hurt himself or something and converted. But um, he, when he was 32, he pitched uh, to one batter in the first inning, and it was a publicity stunt. The batter he was facing was Frank Baumholtz, who was second in the batting race that year. And this was the last home game of the season. Mm-hmm. Musial was first in the batting race. So it was some kind of like weird stunt that I bet made Frank Baumholtz feel like <laughs> really bad. And the thing is, Musial, Musial wasn't really in on it. His, umpo- his manager just came out and called him to the mound <laughs> and made him pitch. And so he pitched to one batter. Uh, the ball was grounded off the shin of the third baseman. It's pretty much considered a bad scores decision that it, it should have been a hit, but it was ruled as an E5. And just like that, he went back out to the outfield, and Harvey Haddix returned to the mound. Harvey Haddix had taken his place in the outfield, <laughs> and uh, Musial was embarrassed by it, uh, and uh, so never pitched again. And the weirdest, though, is uh, uh, Robin Yount's uh, brother, Larry, who... Uh, Never retired a batter and entered a game, but never faced a batter. And uh, then his career was over. He was 21. He hurt himself warming up mm-hmm. in his major league debut. Pulled from the game. Never pitched again <laughs> in the major. So he is he is in Baseball Reference. He he appeared in a game. One game, zero batters mm-hmm. uh, for for Houston in 1971. So the last very odd thing about this though is that this list of 21. Yount is the last one. This hasn't happened in 42 years, huh. which um, is is crazy to me. I'm, I'm shocked because there's more teams. There's more relievers. Unless, there's a lot more relievers. Even Garrison joins the list. No, Garrison got two outs. Oh, oh right. Okay. According to our emailers. So, uh, and I mean, I didn't I didn't even sort by by retired. So there's no active player who even currently fits this description. Uh, even a guy who might have come in yesterday, you know, there there are none, and that's crazy to me. I don't know why it is. I would think that it would have would be growing, um, but alas, this is a, a doomed thing. But uh, all in all, I think what I learned from this, and particularly from the Musial example, 
is that baseball used to be a lot more fun, <laughs> and it is unthinkable that the musical thing would happen today. Yes, and uh, that sort of bums me out. But yeah, I mean, also, I don't. What were they even thinking? It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. So there are many things that would probably be unthinkable about today's game to someone of of Musial's era. Um, so maybe they would say the same thing. I don't know. It's weird in different ways. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. Pablo Sandoval would be pretty unthinkable <laughs> in Musial's era. I mean, yeah. the strikeouts. The, we just right. talked about the strikeouts would be unthinkable. It is interesting right. that there hasn't been a guy. I wonder if teams are are being more selective about who they promote to the majors. Or well, I think compared to the twenties, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the to get to the majors now, I think that the the spread of talent in the twenties was massive, mm-hmm. and so like there were guys who were maybe not more more before the 20s but even in the 20s i think there were guys who were coming up who were basically like you know the the gap between them and and babe ruth would have been the gap between um uh justin verlander and like uh you know maybe a senior in high school right Mm -hmm. now um so i think that's certainly one reason is that probably probably a lot of these guys were that guy um but you know there were examples well actually not really there there have only been like Six since the since 1940 since the war, mm-hmm. and one was Musial, one was Yount. Those are both special circumstances. One was Davalillo, which was a special circumstance. So there's basically been one legit example of this since World War II. Well, it's always nice when we can uh, supply a factual answer to a question in an email show. It doesn't happen. Yeah, that much. any no, it doesn't. But anytime, <laughs> a, anytime you want to send a question that can be answered with uh, baseball references play index. Uh, <laughs> That's second only to weird rule changes in my mind. Right. All right. Uh, what else do you have? You had a bunch. All right. So uh, let's see. A quick one. Uh, Daniel Hutchinson. Sorry. God, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, who's... In Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. And <laughs> we'll provide his full address later on in the show. Uh, please let us know where you work next time. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, Daniel says, having just listened to you wonder about what would make for an interesting all-star game, um, and what would have happened if baseball went the novelty route, I found myself wishing the all-star game consisted of pitchers hitting and playing the field and position players batting. I feel like Chris Davis and Wilson Valdez would be starting pitchers. Giovanni Gallardo would bat cleanup, etc. Now I, uh, I feel bad doing this, but I'm actually only reading this to say that I hate this idea. (laughs) And this is uh, exactly, well, I mean, it's a fine idea. It would be fun. But the reason that I would not be in favor of it is that um, I think that there's there's nothing about it that would particularly tell you about baseball because everybody would be playing in such unfamiliar roles that it would almost be like the only reason to do this is to watch people be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and to do something that they're not qualified for and yet um in a in a very artificial setting so to me this would be no better than taking major league baseball's all-stars and having them um play geoguessr or <laughs> like um write poetry or you know do something that they're just not qualified for um so to me it would it wouldn't be taken seriously in in any particular way, and I just I, I think that the, the 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 sorts of novelty things that appeal to me are ones that secretly teach you a little bit about baseball, and and I I just I just don't think that we would see it here. So yeah, I mean I'd watch that's all it once. I would, I would watch it once. Yeah, I would, but I would watch. I mean, it it would basically just be like it would be like Celebrity Apprentice, right? It would be famous people doing something that they're not good at, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and the baseball would be almost incidental to, to that. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I do like Daniel's other question. You want to? I don't even know what it was. He just says, "Am I the only one who feels strange when I hear sports news people hyping David Ortiz's late game double on Monday night?" This was a while ago. To extend his hitting streak to 26 games, do you think there's a point where baseball people would say, no, that's too many missed games between at-bats for us to call this consecutive, uh, et cetera, et cetera? And I, I do kind of feel that way because, I don't know, I guess part of the reason that you would care about a hitting streak to the extent that you would, uh, I mean, I guess I enjoy it less when it's one of those hitting streaks where the guy went one for four 20, 20 days in a row and he actually right. batted like 250 over that <laughs> stretch. Um, so I enjoy that less. And I guess I also enjoy the ones that are spread out over multiple seasons less. Cause I don't know, I guess they're interesting to the extent that they are interesting. They're interesting because, uh, of the, the probability aspect. And I guess that carries over across seasons to some extent, at least. Um, but I don't know. It, it's also kind of, you want to feel like the guy was especially locked in over that period of time or he was doing something consistently over that period of time that was leading to the hitting streak. And obviously that's not going to carry over six months of off season. Yeah. The the point of a hitting streak is that it's supposed to be a proxy for hotness. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be a way for us to, uh, to visualize and appreciate a player's uh, hotness. And when you split it up like this, you undo the hotness factor. Now, I think it's such an incredibly blunt measure of it that it has no significance in in that sense to a person like you or me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've already lost me on that. And I only appreciate it as a statistical quirk. Mm-hmm. And the statistical quirk remains exactly as quirky yeah. uh, if you split it up. There is no loss of quirk. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually fine with it. I, I was rooting for David Ortiz to get a double that in that. I, I watched that at bat and I was into it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, so and probably only because it was Ortiz, um, and I had uh, one. I think there's something funny about. I, I don't know why, but fat guys having hitting streaks for some reason <laughs> amuses me. Well, they uh, but out, also, they can't beat out hits. But also because uh, I had just noticed about two minutes earlier that um, that David Ortiz's hitting streak was was already longer than any hitting streak Ted Williams had ever had, huh. which goes to the nature of. Uh, what well, well, goes to the uh, the central flaw of hitting streaks? Uh, mm-hmm. Ted Williams didn't get hitting streaks because he would go over two with three walks mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And Ortiz, uh, I was rooting for Ortiz's hitting streak specifically because Ortiz is also a hitter who you, would be unlikely because so much of his value is in drawing walks and hitting home runs, both of which are either not properly recognized or are completely ignored by a hitting streak. Mm-hmm. So, all right, all right. So uh, Brian says, um, in reference to a, a tweet I had earlier today in which I suggested the Marlins and the Astros should play a World Series in between innings of the regular World Series, um, Brian says, what do you think of a rule change where the worst team in each league would have to play a three-game series at the end of the season on World Series travel days? The day before the World Series started, they would play the first game and then play on subsequent travel days. Just as the second wildcard team creates a new incentive for more marginal teams to compete, so this rule would create a more interesting race to the bottom. I have thoughts on this. Do you have thoughts on this, Ben? Uh, I'm in favor of more baseball at all times. So I like having baseball on off days instead of there being off days. Um, other than that, I guess, well, it would be interesting, I guess, from a from a draft perspective. Uh, yeah. If I mean, if the, the team is... is well, that would be weird, though. Would you be well, trying to lose 
So here's here's I think what you do. All right, this is actually I think how you do it, and the, I I'm glad that Brian had this idea because um, it reminded me of an idea that I also had at one point, which is and there is a day I don't know if I would would do it on travel days. Maybe I would, but there there is definitely uh, there's a day I think in between the second wild card game, uh, not the second wild card game, the the wild card games. Uh, actually, this I, I might have had. I might have been thinking of this. This might have come up two years ago after Game 162 when everything went mm. bonkers. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. And, and then the next day it was just like so depressingly quiet because there was no action mm-hmm. for like three days. Uh, and so I think what you do anyway to get to the point is you have this series between the 29th and 30th teams. And they play uh, either one game or three games or five games, however you want to fit it in. And the winner gets the first overall pick, and the loser gets the tenth overall pick. And I think what that does is incentivizes a lot of baseball, in fact, because um, you don't actually want to be the worst team anymore in baseball because you're not going to necessarily get the number one pick. It's sort of like having the lottery where you're not guaranteed the number one pick just by being the worst. You risk getting the number ten pick, and that would be really bad. And then. Uh, as far as the game, it's, so I think that would incentivize some of the late season action between bad teams, as as teams tried to avoid this fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing, you know, if you know that you're the, the third worst be- team in baseball gets the number two pick, and the the second worst team gets potentially the number ten, it's a big difference. And uh, I think it would make the series itself pretty exciting because the difference between one and ten is huge. And in that case, you actually have a name attached to it. I mean, everybody would know in a lot of years, exactly what was at stake, exactly the player who was at stake. Mm-hmm. And that would be exciting. And um, and it wouldn't be too crippling for the team that lost. So you would basically ding them for losing the series. You would ding them for being a bad team. I mean, I, there's, I think there's always been a problem with baseball, with all leagues that set up their draft so that the worst team gets the first pick, where you're incentivizing the wrong thing. You want to, you always want to incentivize teams to win. And this is this rare case where... Um, in the interest of fairness, you actually create an incentive for them to lose. And, and that's a bad thing. Sports should never do that, and sports should strive not to do that. And I think that this would, would actually ease some of that, um, uh, I don't know, dissonance in baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm all in favor of it. It's a great idea, Brian. And uh, if, you're in, if, if, you're, if you're in a position to make this happen and you were just asking <laughs> us for like the go-ahead, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, I, maybe there's some value to having the World Series kind of have the stage to itself and and to everyone talking about the same series at the same time and, uh, and I don't know, kind of anticipating it on the off days or, yeah, or maybe like just watching tra- football instead, which is probably what people are doing. Yeah, I don't, I don't personally like the travel day aspect of it as much. I would, ra- I would, I think I would rather see it as an in-between series thing, Mm -hmm. you know, either before the first series starts, you know, so that, you know, like as it is right now, there's this, uh, this unfairness that maybe baseball would say is planned, but this unfairness where the wild card, where the play-in teams are, um, you know, having to use their ace in order to get to the next series. And maybe that's the goal. Maybe that's what they want. But you, you might argue that it would be nice if every team could set up their rotation, uh, you know, equally so that baseball gets to showcase the best pitchers, each team's best players as much as possible in the postseason. Uh, and just so that, you know, it, you don't have these weird situations where one team is, is resting for a long time and one team is not. So I think it might be 
uh, it might fit in between the end of the season and the uh, start of the next season. Um, Brian also, by the way, tacks on at the end, would teams feel that they needed to take it seriously for marketing reasons at the very least? While owners would probably hate it and fans generally love it, how would players feel? Um, if there weren't a real significant uh, prize attached to it, everybody would hate it. Mm-hmm. The players would hate it. The owners would hate it. And that's the problem with a lot of great ideas that we come up with on this show. I think even in this case, everybody would hate it. I think it's probably a non-starter because the players would hate it. Yes. The Astros don't want to play three <laughs> more games at the end of the year. They are <laughs> desperate. whether they are the worst team. Whether the worst or the second worst. <laughs> I mean, they are absolutely desperate to get out of there by the end of the year. If you're not a playoff team, there's not one guy in that clubhouse who wants to stay for five minutes more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is would be a, a hard thing to negotiate. Yeah. Uh, all right. How are we doing on time? I don't know. I, don't I suppose we, let's uh, maybe do one more. Did, have, sure. Has any jumped out at you? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there's a there's a quick one. I yeah, think okay. we can answer this. Oh, the, Carrie says the perfect games one. Yeah. yeah. Carrie Carrie says at what point do we start to root against perfect games and no hitters? This season, I have already reached that point. Well, then what are you asking us for, <laughs> Carrie? You've already reached that point. Uh, <laughs> somebody needs to teach Carrie about. Pronouns, uh, but it's a good question. What made them fun, he says, was he, I'm assuming he, was the rarity, but after last year, that seems to have gone away. I'm sure that after a couple years without these accomplishments, I will return to rooting for them again. Looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Uh, ben? Uh, yeah, I, I generally agree, I guess. I mean, I'm, I don't know, when I'm watching any one particular game, and I'm kind of into it, and... I guess there's some part of me that is always rooting for it because I like to see that. Um, but when it has gotten just, a, I mean, over the last few years when there have been, you know, when there's six of them or whatever uh, and everyone's talking about the year of the pitcher and it, it, I mean, it does kind of depreciate the accomplishment a little bit. Um, and, and it's the, the rarity of, of the achievement that makes it so special and so fun when it does happen. So I'm I'm glad that I mean we talked about this the other day. I'm I'm glad that all of those one base runner games were one base runner games. Um, yeah, I mean I guess if we went a full season without one, then I would be perfectly happy if we started off next season with a couple. But for the most part, uh, the rarer the better, as long as you see one every once in a while. I uh, I haven't rooted for no hitters for a very long time. Um, uh, because I, I don't know, I, I just uh, watching them a lot of times, it, you're not, it, it just, I don't know. The, the, okay. That was a terrible sentence. <laughs> uh, all right, let me restart. I, I do love perfect games. I think perfect games are great because the, the strain on everybody is really, really great. I mean, knowing that a strikeout and a wild pitch would ruin it, that any air would ruin it, that any walk would ruin it. I mean, I we've talked about this too. We've talked about everything, uh, but we've talked about how I'm just in awe that these guys can throw a strike when they need to throw a strike. That the moment that it really comes down to where they have to throw the ball into this tiny little zone, that they don't completely panic and and spike the ball into the ground blows me away. It's my favorite thing about baseball players is that they can pull that off. I don't know how they do it. And uh, perfect games, the the margin for error on a perfect game is like thousands of times smaller than the margin for error on a no hitter mm-hmm. um and so i do love a perfect game so there is a point where i start to get sweaty watching a mm-hmm. perfect game whether i care about the pitcher or not I, I mean i actually feel extremely tense and i like that no hitters totally pointless 
don't like him, don't care for him, don't understand why people root for him. Uh, a hit is no different than a walk, and it's the you know this weird quirk of baseball 150 years ago that we treat it differently. Uh, but I, I just don't, I just don't care. I don't see it. Um, however, I will say that even though a perfect game is more, ex- I don't know if exciting is the right word, but it makes me sweaty. Um, I would rather watch, if given the choice, I would rather watch a guy threaten 20 or even 21 strikeouts than mm. threaten a perfect game. Um, I start doing the math on that in the second inning. If, uh, although, to yes. be fair, I, I, I start keeping track of perfect games in the second inning, too, if I care about the pitcher. But um, I start doing the math. Anytime somebody strikes out five in two innings, yeah. I'm on it. And uh, I will, uh, I'll watch the rest of that game until it becomes uh, mathematically too unlikely. Um, and I could see, I mean, nobody struck out 21. And, and I could see it being the case as we move into this like super strikeout era. I could see it being the case that over the next, say, 10 years, uh, 17 to 20 becomes sort of the new no hitter that you start seeing that like four or five times a year. But 21 never never gets broken and every time the pressure builds for that guy is he going to get 21 and by the time 21 actually happens it's a huge huge deal mm-hmm. and so the max strikeout game might be the new the new thing we watch together yeah that'd be fun it's not that way though right now it hasn't really taken hold yet i i've uh i mean there have been games where uh, there was a game last year i think where chris sale struck out like nine at the first 10 or something like that and nobody was talking about it particularly on on the twitter not like I think they would if he'd had a, a no hitter through five, for instance. I don't think it's quite as exciting just from moment to moment. And that if you're watching a, a perfect game or a no hitter, there is that tension on every single pitch. Uh, I mean, any pitch can end it. Whereas if you're talking about a max strikeout game, um, I mean, the probability changes a bit from pitch to pitch, but even from out to out, it's not necessarily over if a guy puts a ball in play. So it's, there's a little less tension from moment to moment, but I agree that it, it it would be very exciting. I would like to see someone go for 21. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe it'll happen tomorrow, and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the show. All right.